0: So, when we approach this, we come with a spirit of adoration for Jesus. I believe Revelation was given, and Brian Simmons, who talks about this, I really appreciate the man. He says that this book, Revelation, will be the most cherished and beloved book for the last days' church. That's quite a statement. It's the only book in the Bible that promises a blessing when you read it. Reading about the world ending and and God sending hail and destroying and killing people and people wanting to die and can't, carrying a blessing kind of doesn't work. But, so if it carries a blessing, then it's actually going to carry the blessings that heaven always does, that we understand, right? And so, what if, like learning a new language, you know how when you learn a new language, you have to learn one word at a time, and you figure that out, and you listen to it, and you get it, right? And then you begin to learn that language. We have to learn the language of heaven in this to understand what he's saying. And how do we learn that language? We look at the rest of the Bible. So here's the cool thing. This whole entire book, is our translation manual for Revelation. See, when I look at something, and so we say it's images and it's parables where we understand, oh, you know, he talks about he's coming back on the clouds. But here's the thing. Eight times in the Old Testament, clouds are referred as people. So, is Jesus coming back on white, fluffy clouds? Or is he coming inside his people? Is his arrival actually going to be in his people, because it's Christ in us, right? And, and so, what if we actually understand that these images are sh- revealing Jesus in a way that we'll understand? We understand, you know, so we'll read this, and it'll talk about the lamb that was slain but as, is alive. It's got ten horns and seven eyes. But we understand, if I were to tell you, oh, that's who we worship, you go, well, we don't actually worship a fluffy little sheep, right? But it's actually an image, again, understand the parable context, it's actually an image of this is Jesus in the form of meekness and surrender and sacrifice, right? And so we go, well, yeah, we understand that. It's a picture of that. But then we'll take locusts that are giant, that are trying to kill people. That's real. Those are going to happen. But what if locusts every single time is an opposing religious spirit throughout the Old Testament? What if hail falling from the sky is always judgment on lies? What if the, 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 the animals that are, or the, the beings that are holding up the throne The lamb and the ox and the man and the eagle are the process of us being transformed into the image of Christ. What if all of these things that are painting a picture is so that we will understand a realm that he resides in? Because God is omnipresent, right? That means he's everywhere all at once. He knows what you know, he knows what Tammy's thinking, knows what Susie's thinking, all at the same time, past, present, and future. He's not bound by time, he's outside of time, and he's everywhere all the time, right? But then the same time, we're going to say, but yeah, he sits on a throne in heaven over there, like, you know, 100 billion light years from here, which people do that, you know, but he's omnipresent at the same time. But what if when it describes him on a throne, it's because we understand thrones as, as, as authority and power and rulership. It's painting the picture of the character and the image of him. So all of the things that maybe we have literalized of, yeah, this is what's going to happen. and This is what's going on actually is painting a picture of Jesus, the bridegroom coming for his bride. Because it says, as he is, so are we on earth. Did you catch that? It's not as he was when he was on earth. It's as he currently is right now. That's who we are. That's big, people. Let me say it again, because this is like, this, this right now, this will, this will take care of so much. As Jesus is now, King Jesus. Because when he came to this earth, he came as humble, meek, and in a sacrificial manner, right? Because that's what he came here to do. But then he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to be seated at the right hand of my father. All authority is mine. I'm the king. And the word says, as he is, that's who you guys are to this world. not the the little Jesus that walked this earth, but King Jesus. He's saying you guys are now a kingdom of priests. So here's the deal. Perhaps, let's say, don't call me a heretic, but what if this is the sixth gospel? Everybody's, okay. Bear with me. Bear with me. Just a second. We have the four gospels, which basically means, you know, it's the testimony of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But then you could really call Acts the fifth gospel because it's Christ in his people, in his works, right? Because it's a lot of people talk about it. It used to be called the Acts of the Apostles. Well, the apostles were being empowered by Holy Spirit and Christ inside of them, and that was their act. So really, it's the continuation of the gospel where it left off. Revelation is the finishing of the gospel of who Jesus is, because we get a good picture of who Jesus was on this world, but what's he like as king? What's he like up there? We don't know. We haven't seen a good picture of that yet. We don't know. Well, he's going to give us the revelation of who that is, and then we'll understand ourselves being revealed inside of him. I think that basically covers my introduction so the plan is I could give you an overview and I might give you a little bit of an overview but essentially I don't want to just give you this nice big overview and you're like oh I got it check that off my list if this is the revelation of Jesus and us inside of him we don't want to miss a thing and so we're just going to go verse by verse and understand each thing, and, we're, and however long it takes for us to do it, we're going to do it. We're either going to get through it, or we die. So, <laughs> but, and truthfully, like Shay and I, we sat down, and we started going through it, and uh, later on, when we get in some of the, the letters to the churches, we went a little faster, but our record there for a while was six verses before we were totally just toast. Like, our brains couldn't take anymore. We're like, I can't. And so, we'll see, just because it's so wonderful. But if I were to give you an outline, um, chapter 1 would be Jesus seen as the exalted priest king. 2 and 3 would be Jesus seen ministering to his churches. 4 and 5, Jesus is seen as the glorified lamb of God, worthy of worship of all. 6 and 8, 6 through 18 is Jesus is seen as the refining fire, the undisputed judge of all the earth. 19, Jesus is seen as the conquering king of kings. And 20 through 22 is the heavenly bridegroom unveils his bride as the reality of the new Jerusalem. Now, I know you all got that and you'll retain that forever, so I won't repeat that again. But let's jump into it. I'm going to be reading in the Passion Translation. I, I really appreciate what, what Brian Simmons has done with the Passion Translation. I mean, he translated it. The guy is such a fun dude. He used to be a Baptist. Then he encountered the Holy Spirit, and he got unbaptized, and, uh And then he was a missionary in South America, and God did amazing things through him. And he's seen, seen had an encounter with Jesus in the flesh. That started him into the translating of the Bible, and uh, and it's so funny listening to him. He, he's such a he's not like a translator. Like, oh, he's a translator. No, he's like this fired up, crazy, funny dude, and he is just on fire for Jesus because he's seen him as he really is, and, and I also appreciate like his uh, his passion for the word of. I mean, he translates it. And then he has another scholar double-check him on everything to make sure he's doing it correctly, and if there's any disputes, they go through it and work through it. And then, if all else fails, evidently, he's had multiple times where God woke him up from a dream and said, you mistranslated this verse, go back and fix it. So that's pretty interesting. And, side note, the, the Passion Translation, when it first was released was released on the 500th anniversary of the Reformation of Martin Luther. It's kind of an interesting little tie-in there. I think God's just revealing more of himself. So, let's look at verse 1 in Revelation. this is the unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to share with his loving servants. What must occur swiftly? He clearly made it known by sending his angel to his loving servant John. So I'm going to stop right there. We made it a verse. Like I said, this is the unveiling of Jesus. The Greek noun apocalypsis is a compound word found 18 times in the New Testament. It combines apo to lift ellipsis, veil or covering. And so it can be translated, the lifting of the veil or the unveiling. The implication could be stated as simply, here he is. It's not, it is not primarily lifting the veil off coming events, but the unveiling of Jesus now. Which, and then it says, which God gave to him to share with his loving servants. This is what's funny. Whose revelation is this? It's actually Jesus' own revelation. Let Read that very closely. Don't skim over it. It says, which God gave to him, capital him, Jesus, to share with us. And if you actually, and as we read down a little farther here, we'll see that the chain of communication is, and this is actually important, believe it or not. The chain of communication is God gave it to Jesus, Jesus gives it to an angel, the angel gives it to John, and then he gives it to the church. So here's the question When did Jesus get this revelation? Think about this Jesus laid down his Godhead and he said, I'm going to become 100% man. And he He was born a baby and he grew up. But at what point did Jesus realize, I'm God and I have a purpose and I'm here for something? Because it says that Jesus grew daily in faith and in favor. Jesus had to grow in faith. He didn't just have it. He grew in it. We know for a fact that somewhere in there... Before he was 12, he got it, because when he was 12, he was in the temple. And remember, his parents were like, what the heck, bro, where'd you go? And he was like, I was in my father's house doing his work. So by 12 years old, Jesus got the revelation. God gave him, God gave his son the revelation of who Jesus was. And now he goes, yes, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to live and I'm going to die for these people. And then he goes, but you know what? I'm going to live inside them and they're going to look like me and they're going to be exact replicas of me because I'm going to create new creatures now. So I'm now going to give them the revelation that God gave me so they know who they are. Anyways... (laughs) so which god gave to him to share with his loving servants that that loving servants is the greek word doulos which means bond servant right so what is a bond servant a bond servant it was a servant to somebody and when the time came that he had, to, he had offered to free the servant. The servant could actually say, no, I don't want to leave. I, I like your cooking. <laughs> I kind of want to stay here for a while. And so they, okay. And so then you would actually choose to be their servant for the rest of your life. And they would take you to the door of their house. And they would lean your head against the door and they would pierce your ear. through scripture, who's known as the door? Jesus is known as the door. And what's funny is, John, who wrote this, where did he lay his head on Jesus? John laid his head on the chest of Jesus. John laid his head on the door and was made a bondservant a loving Bonsorin that says, I choose to be with you the rest of my life. He's the one that was known as John the Beloved. That kind of adoration and love that John was known for, that was why Revelation was given him, because he understood that is how this book is supposed to be understood. It's that loving Bonsorin that we've given ourselves to us. So to actually fully be able to receive what this Revelation is, if we have to go, i I want to be pierced at the door of Jesus that you would transform the way I hear this and that I, I would become that bondservant of love. So, which God gave to Jesus to share with his loving servants. What must occur swiftly, period. Now here, this does not necessarily mean soon, from the writer's perspective, but that once the time comes, it will quickly happen. The Greek phrase "entaco" and it sounds like "entaco." I know that's, that's how you remember. You just want tacos. It's that same word, "entaco," similar to "tachometer" or "tachometer," right? The the meter that actually is for speed. Uh, where did I, oh I lost it? Oh means that once something starts, it will take place swiftly. Now, let me explain. It's saying this is, the, this is the revelation of Jesus, and God gave it to Jesus, and then Jesus gave it to his loving bond servants, what will happen quickly. It's not about, it's not about the, like, oh, well, you know, it'll happen quickly, but it almost would entail that when you get the revelation, because that's what we just mentioned right before, When you get the revelation and when it begins in you, the actual revelation of him will happen quickly. It's not, it's not, oh, it's coming quickly time period. It's when it begins, it will actually happen quickly. And so when the revelation comes to you, And when you're actually ready to lay your head on the doorpost of the bondservant and he gives you the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus inside you, that once that begins relative to our lifetime kind of deal, I mean, if you think about it, will happen quickly. It's not saying, oh, this is going to happen soon, like, you know, the coming of Jesus, but it's actually the revelation. It being unveiled in you will happen quickly. He clearly made it known by sending his angel to his loving servant, John. So it's interesting. He clearly clearly made it known. Think about that. He clearly made it known. The Greek word is signified or signified, right? Or miracle sign. The word for miracle sign is the Greek verb I can't fully pronounce this one meneo or whatever, which means to give a sign. The noun form is a slightly different word. (laughs) This is hard to pronounce. And is the word used most often 77 times in the New Testament. 77 times. That's That's a special word or a number. 77. This same word is used 77 times in the New Testament for Miracle. Um, in Daniel 2.45 the word is used which indicates the meaning to symbolize the Aramaic likewise can be translated symbolized the book of Revelation is a book full of symbols so he's saying he clearly made it known or the Greek is he symbolized it John. So, the book, he symbolized it to John. He's saying, I'm revealing a new realm to you and a new revelation of Jesus, and I'm going to symbolize it to you to understand so that those symbols will reveal what's going on. By sending his angel. This is interesting. I mean, angels were all actually... actually... Angels were actually always instrumental in bringing revelation all through the Bible, right? Um, I mean, a divine impartation was given to Abraham, Moses, Joshua, the judges, the prophets, the kings, and the apostles. This angel, sent from Jesus, was on a mission to give John insights into the meaning of the vision within the book of Revelation. And it talks about that a little more in Revelation 22. But, to his loving servant John. And that was kind of what we were talking about, the, the chain of communication there. Uh, so, in all reality, the book of Revelation came from a direct encounter with an angel. Right? It's just kind of neat. So, let's go on to verse 2. We made it one verse, y'all. I, John, bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. A joyous blessing rests upon the one who reads this message and upon those who hear and embrace the words of this prophecy. For the appointed time is in your hands. So, a joyous blessing rests upon those who read this message. Or, it can also be understand, or happiness to the one who reads. The book of the Revelation is the only book in the Bible, and I talked about this earlier, that promises a rich blessing to those who read it and obey what it states. Um, there are, and there actually are six blessings in Revelation. But what's also neat is... The, um, another, another interpretation and understanding of this is there's a blessing to those, you know, who read it. And it's not just like, all right, if you just read this, you got blessings. It's more like that, that word to understand, uh, to read is actually to like remember though, if you read it and you remember, and if you actually remember your past, think about it. If you remember who God, God has been in the past, if you remember what God was like, if you remember his character, if you remember what he's been like to you, when you read this book and then you remember what it means and you apply it in your life, it you, you carries a blessing upon it. Another understanding is, um, is to tend the garden of this truth. So think about it. The blessing for those who read and obey and remember this, the, co- the interpretation can also be there's blessings when you tend this truth like a garden, where you, you go and you tend that soil and you tend the plants in it and you let it grow inside of you, it carries a blessing. I think that's just such a beautiful understanding of this, is that God gives you... He's like, I'm going to give you this truth. I'm going to give you the revelation of my son. I'm going to give you these things. But you've got to tend it like a garden. And it, it's so interesting how it, it says, a joyous blessing rests upon the one who reads this message and hear and embrace the words of the prophecy. This is one... This one is so fun. For the, and at the very end of that verse... For the appointed time is in your hands. This is what's so cool. The Greek adverb, egus, is taken from a primary verb, acho, which means to squeeze in your hands or hold the reins or essentially the throttle. There is a sense in which the full understanding of the book of Revelation is ready to be unveiled when the reader is ready to receive it. The time for this revelation is now. Not the past, not the distant, but it is now. So he's saying the time and when you get this revelation is dependent on you. Like he's saying, it's I've given it, it's here. But you hold the reins. So you can either back that thing off and, no, I don't get it, I don't. Or you can go, let's, let's ride. <laughs> let's get into this. And so it is actually dependent. He's saying, I've hidden these truths. I've symbolized this, this miracle sign to you. And, it, and it's ready when you are. And that's why this is a timeless book, because it's ready whenever you are. We are booking, y'all. We've made it three verses. We're doing really good. So, the, for the point of time is in your hands. From John to the seven churches in western Turkey, uh, most other translations will say Asia Minor, which Asia Minor is basically Turkey, the country of Turkey for us now. A lot of people talk, you know. Oh, they went into Asia Minor. Well, nowadays, the the way the churches were actually kind of set up is almost like a circle inside of uh, Turkey. So, from John to the seven churches, and so let me just pause before I actually go farther. Again, it's interesting, right? It's seven churches, right? And we understand that the number seven is a representation of completion. So, I don't think it's really, I propose that it's not really, oh, this is for seven churches and that's it, and let's not read it and care about this book, right? But it's actually a representation of the seven churches, which is the complete understanding of the church, right? The body of Christ. It is the complete church, seven churches, the complete church. So, for us today, it still applies. We're still the church. We're still part of this. All of these things as we read into it will apply to us. We'll, we will understand it. And so it, it, it is, a, it's these even the letters are a now word to us today because it's the seven churches of understanding. It's the complete body. And so it says um, in Western Turkey, May the kindness of God's grace and peace overflow to you. For who is and who was, and who is to come. So it's that I mean John John is saying he, he's not the God of the past, he's not even the God of the present, he's not the God of the future. He's all of those all at once. He's not bound by time. He's actually outside of time, which will if you really think on it very long, it, it, it'll hurt your brain. And so And he says, so this is from God who was and is and is to come. And he says, and from the seven spirits who are in front of his throne and from Christ Jesus, the faithful witness. So let's just, let's just ask. Okay. It says from the seven spirits who are in front of his throne. What is the seven spirits? Now, the more that we look into this later on, and when we look in the Old Testament, it, it's, it, it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So, here's the deal. If God can be three in one, then the Holy Spirit can be seven in one. <laughs> I don't, that always gets it, everyone. I've done this multiple times, everybody goes, huh? But... And if if you read, and if you're interested in that, Isaiah eleven two for two through three, Zechariah four, and then Revelation three four and five talk about these the seven spirits. I real I, I was reading them just today. Isaiah 11, two two through three is really good. It's talk it's listing off it lists off it says the spirits of God and it lists off seven different categories. But. I believe it is the holy he's saying it's from jesus because its list is right there it's from jesus it's uh, and another instead of saying the seven spirits which can be one translation yes the it can be the sevenfold spirit before god right so it's saying the sevenfold spirit that is the holy spirit and if God can be three in one, then the Holy Spirit can be seven in one. Because in that list, it's talking about uh, all the different functions that Holy Spirit has. And it, it's basically like they're writing the letter to their churches, you know. It's kind of like if you're writing a letter and you say, you know, it's from me and Shay and all the seven different cats all say hello, you know. It's going, you know, God, Jesus, and the sevenfold spirit before the throne all say hello to you guys. Right? So that's an interesting fact. Is very interesting. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Well, let me read a little bit extra. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead and the ruling king who rules over the kings of the earth. So Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, when he was on earth, he was the faithful witness, and he was faithful his whole life. He was faithful in his death, and he's faithful, and when he comes back, faithful is going to be stamped on his thigh. He's, I'm, a, I'm the faithful, and here's the thing, that is really important when you're talking about your husband. He's, he's like, I'm your faithful husband. I've always been faithful to you, and I'm still faithful to you, and I'm coming stamped on my thigh that I'm faithful right? And that's just beautiful. Like, I'm kind of speeding past these things, but you could just take that right there and spend time on it and go, wow, Jesus, the faithful witness, you know? You're so faithful to me. You're faithful when I wasn't faithful. You're faithful when I didn't think you were faithful. You've been faithful to my family. You've been faithful to all the people around me. You've been faithful throughout history. You look through the Old Testament. He was always faithful, and so just that one thing, if, we just, if you just praise him for his faithfulness, he is the faithful witness. We go, man, thats we should write songs about that. He's so faithful to us. That, and, and I just love it. He's like, I'm stamping it on my thigh. Like, I, am, I have made it my goal. I'm faithful to my bride. It's beautiful. Just take one of these and sit on it for a while. And then... And then let's just go to the next one that's even more exciting, that he's the firstborn among the dead. That means there's many coming after. He was the firstborn. He was the firstborn in this family that's come back from the dead because we're buried with Christ and we're raised again in life. Right? So we literally die. To sin. We die in the flesh. We die to all of these things and we're raised back in power and in glory, just like Jesus. And he was going, let me show you how it goes, guys. I'll do it first. Okay, now follow me. <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's a beautiful picture and he's saying, I'm the first among the dead and you guys are all coming after me. And, or, you know, and another uh, interpretation of that is the, the first begotten from the dead. He is the firstborn who conquered death. And we are created not just to, oh, yeah, he conquered death so I don't have to go to hell. But no, he's the first begotten. That means there's more to be begotten. And that means we're supposed to overcome death just like Jesus. He's given us that example, He's given us this thing. It's so exciting. Take that one for a while now, too, and sit on it. (laughs) Stick that in your theology pipe and smoke it. I just, I heard that and I really like it. I'm probably going to use it a lot. I heard somebody say that and I'm like, yeah, that's going to be one of my new favorites. So, and it continues on and it says, so he's the firstborn among the dead and the ruling king who rules over the kings of the earth. Here's the deal. Um he's the first, he's the faithful witness, he's the firstborn among the dead, and then he's the ruling king over the kings of the earth. Who are the kings? I don't think it's, we're not, I don't think we're actually talking about, you know, we're not talking about President Biden, we're talking about kings over nations, but who are we called? We're called kings and priests. So he's actually the king over kings. So, we're actually supposed to be kings over this world. We're supposed to be be kings over this dominion. We're supposed to be kings over this realm. And he's saying, But I'm going to be the king over you guys. He's he's saying, Here's how it goes I'm your king, but your king's underneath me. He says, I'm the king of kings. That's an exciting. That's an exciting. Stick that in your theology pipe and smoke it. (laughs) Anyway, just let that. Let that become an aroma of praise, that we're called to be kings. All right, let's move on. Now to the one who constantly loves us and has loosed us from our sins by his blood, and to the one who has made us to rule as a kingly priesthood, to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion throughout eternity of eternities. Amen. So now... It says, to the one who constantly loves us. Let's, like, it's just, the wording is just beautiful. He just, he constantly loves us. He doesn't get tired. He's always in a good mood. And has loosed us from our sins or uh, washed us from our sins. In his own blood. Oh, no. And And to the one who has made us to rule as a kingly priesthood. And again, that same translation can be, or a kingdom of priests, or kings and priests. We have both the nature of a king and a priest embedded within us in Christ. Christ is the one who made us into the holy order and union. So, he's not saying you're, like, and I, I didn't even know that this was a theology. But anyways, there's some people believe there's, there's kings and there's priests. Like it talks about like, oh, you know, there's, there's business people and there's these blah, blah, blah people. And they're like, you know, they're called to be kings in this world. And then there's other of us and ministry people or whatever. They're called to be priests. I think that's a bunch of hogwash. You know, I, I think it's, he's saying you, you're a joint nature. And this is what's so cool. In the Old Testament, remember, which king was it? I can't remember his name right now. The king that went into the temple and he wasn't supposed to and then he was made leprous. What was, I don't remember his name right now. Anyways, but see, back then there, there was a separation. He was saying, priests can only go in there and that's their job. Kings, they do their thing and that's the, and that king didn't understand the rulership of kings and priests. He, did, he thought, well, I'm king, I can do whatever I want. He's going, and he went in there, and what? He became leprous. And it's been said, and I, I agree with it, that uh, inside of all of us is a leprous king that wants to rule over. Bye. It, it, inside of us has been a leprous king that wants to rule over and step out of the realm of that and do our own deal. But... Luckily, Jesus cleansed us and killed the old man. But it is, a, it is an image of that same thing. But what's cool is, so you understand that there was a separation, there was a difference, but now he's saying, no, you're kings and you're priests. Like, I've made you guys like, you thought it, it was cool back then? I'm going to make you guys amazing. Because uh, Jesus is two per, 200% He's a two hundred percent being. He's fully man. He's fully God. So that means he's two hundred percent. And now we're created in the same nature. We share. And oh man, that gets in Peter. It talks about that we share in the nature of Christ. We're, we've been brought in to the same. We've been brought into the same nature in the the power that Jesus had because He wanted to create people in His own image. So we are kings and we're priests. We're created to rule. We're created to have dominion. We're created to steward. We're created to create. We're created to build. But we're also created to be priests, where we minister, where we work in the temple, where we come before his presence, where we do these things, that we are both. It's not one or the other. He's saying, I'm going to make you all, I'm going to just do all of it. I'm just going to make you guys the coolest things ever. Right? So, And to serve his God and Father to him be glory and dominion throughout eternity of eternities. Amen. That's verse 6. We're booking people. Oh, here comes a fun one. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. We finally made it. This one just pumps me up. And behold, he appears within the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him. And behold, he comes. So, or behold, it says, behold, he appears. Or you can say, behold, he comes. The Greek verb tense is uh, erkomai, appears or comes, is in the third person singular, present indicative, which is a present tense reality, not a distant one. I'll explain a little more. I'm I'm going to say it again. I'll just say it. It can be translated, he is now coming, or he is in the act of coming and continues to come. So it goes, behold, he comes. And it's not talking about behold, he's going to come one day. It's not future tense. Behold, he didn't come once before, and now we're going to talk about it, But behold, just like the revelation of how it's in your hands, just how you were reigning this thing in. He's saying, behold, he's arriving right now. He's arrived. He's arriving and he continues to arrive. So here's the deal. What if we're looking for a second coming and he's already come? Here's the deal. You can't find second coming in the Bible. go try to find it. You can't find second coming in the Bible because actually throughout the Bible, there's many comings of Jesus. He came, so, he came and was revealed in the Old Testament. He came and showed up there. He came into this world and was embodied. And you know what? What if the second coming, and I'm not talking about like the second coming, like we're talking to like, like, here's the deal. Jesus is coming back. There is an end to this world. Like, I'm not saying all that stuff, but there's still a lot of things that have to happen. All of Israel has to be converted. The whole world has to hear the gospel. We're not there yet. And you know what? If that's what has to happen for him to come back, then that means we actually have a play in when Jesus comes back. Oh, God. And I can prove it with 2 Peter 3, verse 12. Everyone's like, heresy, heresy, heresy. Anyway, (laughs) 2 Peter. Oh, I'm getting on the bunny trail. Who cares? So, he's saying there's a lot of things that have to happen for Jesus to come back. It is spoken of. I'm not saying that we're getting rid of, like, Jesus ever coming back or anything like that. But in the context of we have created it, that one day, you know, there's the second coming. But what if he's come? He's coming, and he continues to come. That every single time you open this, and every single day you connect with Jesus, he goes, I'm going to meet you, and I'm going to arrive in your life today. I'm going to come into your life today. I live inside of you and I'm actually continuing to grow in the image. You're continuing to walk in me. You're continuing to be formed into me. You're under great tribulation. The great tribulation ain't about terrible times and people wanting to die. It's about the tribulation and the pressure we go into being the formed into Jesus. Every believer goes through great tribulation when we come to Jesus because he squishes us. Right? And so he's saying... I'm still coming. The second coming, isn't it's not, it's not promised in the Bible like that. Everybody's waiting for a second coming. It probably, really, in reality, the last days began at Pentecost, and Jesus came back on Pentecost. Think about it. He said, it's better that I go, because then the Holy Spirit will come. If it's better that Jesus comes, then we're getting an upgrade. And when he said, I'm going to come... Right? If the third, three and one, then technically Christ lives inside of us, and when you say Jesus, come live inside me, He arrives. It's His second coming because He came to Earth, and now He come, He's come inside of you. And at the last days began at Pentecost because Peter got up and, and quoted Joel, and He said, "In the last days, these signs will happen." And today, it is fulfilled in your midst. And so we've actually been living in the last days. And the young men will uh, see visions, and the old men. men will dream dreams, and your kids will prophesy. And if a day, uh, if a thousand years is a day to God, then it's been two days since Pentecost. It's been two days of the last days. <laughs> and so, do we know when Jesus has come back? Do we know when this actually ends? You know what? Get off the rapture rug. Stop! uh, Stop digging your trenches and your bunkers. We may be here a while because if you actually look at the requirements for Jesus coming back, it's in our hands. It's if the whole world hears the gospel. It's if Israel is converted and all the other things that happen. It's not about Gog and Magog coming together and the world getting terrible. Are things going to get terrible? Heck yeah! Everything. It's always been terrible. It's going to be terrible. But you know what? It promises incredible greatness. It promises incredible great things the world's already terrible. Come on. And it's been worse before throughout history. Read a book. I mean, think about it. It actually, that means if, and here's the deal. What if I go to a place that's never heard the gospel before? And when I go and I give the gospel to that place, I'm one step closer from Jesus coming back and tying this whole thing up. But it's in my hands if I have to go. That's why it's so important that's why the go of the gospel is so important. Because you know what? If you want him to come back faster, don't just pray. Go do. Yeah, let's move on. I guess we should move on. <laughs> it's fu- Come on. He's coming inside of us every single day. That. that. That's not a bad thing, y'all. This is exciting stuff. This is like, what? It's so good. And every time you step out and you become more in the image, the world experiences the second coming of Jesus. Because we are as he is to this world. Oh, let's go to the next fun one, within the clouds. I, I've alluded to this a couple of times because it's, I really like it. So, or he will appear surrounded with clouds, or will he will appear by the means of clouds, or within clouds, or between clouds. Eight times throughout the Old Testament, people are referred to as clouds. Uh, Isaiah 60, verse 8, Daniel 7, Hebrews 12, the great cloud of witnesses. That's in the New Testament. Uh, The cloud of glory is now plural. Clouds. You see, Back in the day, <laughs> when the Israelites went through Egypt, there was one cloud. But now he's saying, my presence is coming in the plural clouds. We're all a bunch of water droplets, and when we all get together, we make a cloud that Jesus is going to ride in on, but not on it, in it. So here's the thing, he could be, you know, he could be, it's, it's saying, he's in it, he's by means of the clouds. Like, it's not saying I'm sitting on a fluffy cloud floating down to earth, all right? He's going, I am going to be revealed within the clouds. So he's saying, I'm coming back. Here's my second coming that y'all want to talk about so much. But it's going to be in you. Because you're the clouds. And you're revealing Jesus to this world in a whole other dynamic way. It talks about another a great translation of in the um, in the old in the Old Testament. Where it talks about it also talks about his coming And a fantastic translation is that he comes in myriads of himself. He's saying I'm going to make uh, I'm going to cover the whole world with people that look like me, and that's why I'm gonna that's how I'm going to be revealed. Myriads and myriads—that means an unlimited amount of people. I'm gonna. That's that's what I'm gonna. That's how I'm showing up. He wants to reveal himself to the world, and we are that way that he does it. I think that's pretty flippin' awesome. I mean, <laughs> I we at uh, I had I was already learning this, and at New Year's when we started playing that Sandy Patty song, "Behold, He Comes." riding on the clouds, I was like, (gasps) I was like, I love this song now. I was like, yes, Jesus, you're coming back on the clouds. Come on more. Let's do it. Let's get crazy. This is awesome. That is what the revelation is all about. Woo, Man, let's see if we can get through this. And every eye will see him, even those who have pierced him. Everyone has pierced Jesus with our sin and our unbelief everyone but he's saying everybody's going to see him even the people that pierced him even the people that have sinned against him they're all going to see me it's going to be crazy and he says and all the people groups of the earth will weep with sorrow because of him and so it is to be amen i can't tell you what that means other than some are going to laugh when they see jesus and some of them are going to weep because oh lord right Yep, and it's. But he says, (laughs) literally, and so it is to be, and this is Jesus. I am the Aleph and the Tav, says the Lord, who is, who was, and is the one to come, the Almighty. Hallelujah. Wow, what time is it? We're getting kind of late. Yeah, no, weird, Um, that feels like a good stopping point, (laughs) yeah, Um, that feels like a good stopping point, because, but it's so good, and in front, and from this, uh, John starts to go in to describe um, his experience of going into the realm of the spirit. And he and he goes and first he begins in the lampstand realm. And then he hears a voice behind him and he turns and from the same door that he entered in, he then turns into the throne room. And so uh, what is shown after this is we get to see Jesus in one form. We get to see his hair, we get to see his eyes, we get to see him walking among his lampstands. And he's coming in as he's wearing a priestly robe. And what the priest did is that they filled the lampstand up with oil, which is his anointing presence. And the lampstands are a symbol of his churches. And from there we get a glimpse of what Jesus looks like and how he ministers and how he loves his church. And then on from there we hear what he says to each one and he it's always so fun whenever he gives a correction to his churches, he he always sandwiches in. He kind of goes, you guys did this really good. You messed up here, but here's this. And with each letter, he gives them a gift of the revelation of himself. He's kind of like, You've walked away from your first love, but it's okay. I'm going to give you a new revelation of me. Here's a little gift to make it better. Like, it's just, it's the way Jesus relates to his churches, and each one is current things for us today. And then from that, we move on to the throne room. But, so, all of this, what is it? It's the revelation of Jesus. We're beginning to see these things. I hope you guys are starting to get this. And maybe you're just going but how does this work? And it was just like, like Sarah and I were talking last night, you know, all the things pop in your mind. Of, but, but what about this? And what about this? And what about the, what, what? And like, and it's like, you're just spazzing over there and it's fine. Just, just spaz out for a little while. But yes, sir. Are you just, yeah, I'm oh yeah. Is this gonna be on your podcast it will be. Yes. So that is my intention is to record each week, and I'll put it on there, so if you miss a week and you're behind, you can listen to it at least, and stay on track, because we're just going to go chronological with this thing. Anyways, so, uh, but yeah, and it's so beautiful, right? Uh, Even those verses, wasn't that so exciting? Like, I just read that, and I go, this is so exciting. Like, this is so incredible. Like, I'm getting to see Jesus in these ways, and then at every turn, at every turn, we'll see this every single time we open this, at every turn, he goes, I'm going to show you some of me, and then, and then this is you with me, and and like, and he's like, and I'm, and so he's describing his bride at the same time he's describing himself, and it's so beautiful, and then we get to see him as like, brother and we get to see him as king and we get to see him as lamb and we get to see him as lion and we get to see him as all of these different things. And it's like the, it, it, the perspective is this, and I kind of want to end with this, is that so many people, they read maybe about the throne room, whether it be in the Old Testament or in this one, and, and it always talks about the fire in his eyes and everybody paints it and you're like, ah, he's melting me. Like he's going to kill me. He's still looking at those angry fire, but it's not that kind of fire. You see, a lot of times you think of fire if it's burning and it's killing us, but then what about the romantic fire? And I I, I was reading this the other day, and I got this picture, and I was like, that changes everything. Think about this. We've watched it on movies. You know, you got the couple, and they're sitting in front of a nice crackling fire, and it's, like, beautiful, and when the angle's just right, you can see the fire glistening in their eyes, and you're like, that's so romantic and beautiful. And I know you're like, good God, Anthony. But I'm just saying. And then the baby But think about it. You can see fire of killing people and burning stuff up. But then there's also that, that slow, those slow licks of fire that just are sitting there. And it's that warmth and that's beauty and that's that love and it's that passion. And that's actually the fire in his eyes. Because when he looks at you, he burns for passion and love for his bride. And... And if you just take that one message and you apply it to the rest of this book, everything will be different. You see the image of painted of Jesus with his fire burning and a sword coming out of his uh, tongue and you're like, oh, like, oh, that's such a disgusting image. But it's not. He's, he, he's actually burning with passion for us, with love. You see, last week I told you guys, remember, I gave you a word for 2022, Right? Um, In Hebrews 1, it says that God spoke to his people through prophets and through these signs and these wonders in the last days. But he says, but now I speak to you in the language of the Son. And essentially what he's saying is, I speak Son. You may speak English, I speak Son. You may speak shame, you may speak guilt, you may speak performance, you may speak failure, but I speak son. And if you want to hear me, you've got to start speaking son. And so if you come to Revelation, and I talk about that's you, and that's you, and this is Jesus, and you're listening with the language of performance, or the language of shame, or the language of, oh, and every single verse I may read to you, and it's talking about that, oh, he's coming on the clouds, that's me, and oh my gosh, it's dependent on me, and then your shame starts coming up, and you're going, I can never be good enough, and I'm going to be terrible at this, and and you're listening through shame. Or maybe you're listening to the performance, and you're like, we'll never get it done, that's too much work. But you don't understand that it's all through the joy and the peace. The kingdom and the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. And that's how he's saying, I empower my people. And he's saying, if you want to understand me in these days, you've got to speak sun language. And so imagine Jesus with the fire of love and passion and repaint the picture of the rest of the book that this is all about his fire and passion is burning for his bride and understand it as a son when you read this because it's yours now it's his revelation that he gave to you and so it's incredible what he's doing it's incredible and we're just going to go verse by verse and experience the joy that he's uh, just singing over us in this and if you know of anybody else that's dealt with the crap of the rest of the world, just tell them, dude, you've got to hear something different. God's got a new thing for you. Because in the coming years, this book is going to become our most treasured possession. We may wake up every morning and just read Revelation and go, whoa. Because there at the end, it shows Jesus riding on his white horse. And he's not coming to kill a bunch of people. He's coming to bring and get his bride. And that's what all this is about. And so, we, we have to see everything in a new lens, in a new picture. And so I just, I want to ask everybody just to stand up. And all of this might be swirling in your mind, and you may not, you may not fully understand it. You may not fully agree with it. That's okay go be a good uh, researcher and search it out and ask God and test everything that's said. Test everything, right? But if this, is, if this is applying to us and we're going, dude, this changes everything. This is so exciting. It's revealing the beauty of Jesus to us. And that's who I want to worship. That's who I want to lift up. I want to see Jesus as he currently is. And that, that inspires praise when we read this. That's going to inspire so much inside of us. And so,